Hey everyone, welcome back to Navigating Netflix Originals. As always, I'm Madison, and as always, I'm joined by Jamie. Hello. And welcome back <laughs> to our podcast. <laughs> Yay. Uh, thank you all for being here today. Sorry that we are failing terribly at uploading an episode regularly once a week right now. Yeah, <laughs> but, I've been, I'll take know, all the blame for this. It's been busy times. Well, it's not entirely your fault because there have definitely been times recently where I was not prepared as well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And this one was your fault, but not all of them. <laughs> yeah, it's a busy time. We'll try to get more on top of that as we go. Yeah. We, we thought that after we got through the summer, we'd be more regular, but it turns out we were actually better at doing it in the summertime <laughs> than not. So It's true. So our, our you know. sincere apologies. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so today we are going to be discussing the Netflix original series, The Mind Explained, and it's season two of that series. We already talked about season one in a previous episode, so today we'll be talking about all five episodes of season two. Indeed. And probably the best way to tackle this is just to do them one at a time. Each episode kind of talks about a different aspect of the mind. So it makes probably the most sense to do them individually, don't you think? I agree. Yeah. All right. So let's start with the first one, which talks about how to focus. Yes. Which is something that we could both use help with. <laughs> oh, desperately so, yes. Yeah. As, as, as we just discussed with not being on top of recording. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so perhaps we need to get a wooden helmet helmet that literally requires oxygen in order to use. And oh we my can God. just injure ourselves in a log. <laughs> like, I, think... I don't remember who they said this it was that did this, but it was some writer from like the early 1900s. Yeah, I definitely was really bad at writing people's names. So I have no idea who it was. But I, yeah do remember how ridiculous that is and how like you know admitting how he admitted that even doing all of that you know the the fundamental truth is that we're like your own mind is the biggest distraction you have and so if you're like just closed off in like this little you know helmet all you have is your mind to think about so it's just not good (laughs) right and like he actually like wrote about wearing this i can't remember what he called this thing yeah the the do not disturb hat or something. <laughs> something like that, yeah. Yeah, he wrote about it. Even if supreme quiet reigns, you are your own disturber practically 50% of the time. So yeah. it means that this log he was wearing really only worked half the time anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, at the beginning of the episode, they have you like, um, as the viewer, they have you count the number of times that somebody is jumping on the trampoline. Were you able to get all 11 of them? Yes. Yeah. Did you see the gorilla while you were doing it? I did not. <laughs> no, me neither. Did you see any of the other gorillas that they put in throughout the episode? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> I thought that was a really cool thing to do, though, to like include that that little yeah test of of focus in a way right and it's kind of like just showing like because they're talking about how we're not really good at multitasking as Mm -hmm. individuals and so they have you like count the number of times this person is jumping up and down on a trampoline and they have all sorts of like other random shit happening in the background that you don't pay any attention to at all because you're like so focused on i have to count the number of times the person is jumping on the trampoline and must be like the other scenes where they snuck in like pictures of gorillas were also scenes where you, your attention was being drawn to something else on the screen because I missed it. There was yeah. like three or four times that they pointed it out later and I missed all of them. <laughs> yeah, I think a couple of the times it was just like someone was kind of centered and talking. And so like I think our natural inclination is to look at them as, we're, as they're talking and try to focus. Because right. like even if you don't need to, you kind of like look at people's mouths when they're talking and like all those small details and cues to like see how, you know, what they're saying and how they feel about that stuff. It's really interesting. Like it is fascinating. Yeah. They said that the, like the average human can like focus their full attention on something for an average of about 90 minutes. Do you feel like that is accurate Mm. for you? Like if you're working on something really intently that like within, you know, an hour and a half, your concentration is broken and you're off to doing something else. 
I think it really depends. I I think the largest factor for me is if I'm interested and want to do something, you know, like yeah. there have been times where I've been, or if I have to, like there have been times when I've been working on a specific thing. Like I just think of in grad school when I had to spend all night writing a paper or something like there are moments yeah. when I could definitely force myself to focus for hours and hours on end. But I think my natural inclination is, is, even much shorter than that as an attention span. Cause, and I, I think it's all boiled down to cell phones and like our instant. And they talk about like this sort of like our expectation of instantaneity and stuff, which, yeah. um, you know, so like I'll be watching a show, even if I'm very interested in it. And then I'll just be like, I'll find myself like unlocking my phone. And then I'm like, what am I doing? And then I try to like right. put it down, you know? So I think focus. Yeah. It's, um, it's tough to do, but I think there are moments when you can you can get hyper focused. I imagine you're the same way. Like if you're working on a project that's particularly involved or something. Yeah, like so I I do graphic design um, for a living, and because this podcast isn't making me enough money yet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole zero dollars it's making us. If <laughs> if I get really into doing a design, like I can like the, the the hours can just disappear. I can look up and realize that like I have not moved from the position in my desk chair for like four and a half hours. And I'm because I'm just so into like working on the design and I'll have to like pee and drink something because I haven't moved in four hours. Yeah, um, I can get really into certain things like that. Or sometimes if I'm writing, like I can get really into the zone when I'm writing too. But it has to be something I want to be like reading about but you're so or writing about or reading about i suppose yeah um, <laughs> um like the but the phones being this huge distraction i was at my parents house over the weekend and there was a big storm that went through so they lost all um internet all television and all phone service to their house and if you don't have wi-fi you don't get phone reception at their house hardly at all right um so i basically didn't have a phone like from saturday all all through like Monday when I left, um, they didn't get it again until this morning. Um, so, and, and there were so many times where I'd be doing something and I would pick up my phone to like check it, even though like it, I couldn't check it because it wouldn't connect <laughs> to the internet. I would, you know, remember that as soon as I picked it up. But like, there's just the number of times I did that in a couple of days of being there, of just picking up my phone and looking at it was obnoxious. And yeah. it makes me want to like leave my phone in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I feel like I've gotten, I, I've worked on getting a little better at like, not looking at the phone. It, it's tough because like you do, especially if you're exchanging messages with people that you care about, like you want to have that sort of rapid response and like, let them right. know that they're, you know, you're interested in stuff. But there's definitely a point where like, I would just put my phone down after I would get home and I would just not look at it. And so people would yeah. be like, until someone called and it was like buzzing or something, <laughs> because it's true that like, I don't know. And it, it I think because we all want that you can get stuck in this time where you're just like sending all these messages all day and that's all you're yeah. doing. And I'm like, I need time to like not look at my, especially like nowadays when we spend so much time just staring at screens, I'm like, my yeah. eyes hurt. I need to not yes. <laughs> spend some time like not looking at a screen. Yes. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Like even grading and stuff. Um, like I, I have, like pretty much all I have left for this semester to grade is essays and I have them all send them to me digitally. And so I look at them on my iPad and yeah. I'm just so, so now I'm, you know, even when I'm doing like a grading thing that used to be done on paper for me, I'm just like staring at the screen this whole time. I think I, I just am. need to like invest in some blue light filters or something, but like, good Lord. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's an, ever going to be anything that's going to make looking at a screen like a great full-time activity yeah no it's true it's true but, i do um, I think, go ahead I, was gonna say, I think that we all need to invest in some paper books just to have yes. them around and read them periodically and, and look at something that is not backlit by any kind of light <laughs> yeah i usually i've been like really busy now so like whenever i have time on the train for example i'll just be work, trying to grade something because i you know it's it's a time where i'm sitting still and i have it's kind of like that forced focus. Like I have, 
um, an hour on the train. And like the, right. I could sit there and sort of listen to music or whatever, try to listen to a podcast, but it's true that it also gets like pretty noisy. So then you kind of have, for me at least, that help of the ambient noise to like, I don't know, somehow that makes, that helps me focus. Like that's why I feel like whenever I, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, I would work in coffee shops a lot because there's just a lot yeah. of bu- noise going on and people yeah, around you've too. Always, like been that way. You've always yeah. like like noise around you when you were working. I like it silent. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like even if I'm at home, I'll be listening to music or something or, you know, have something yeah. on. But, um, but yeah, so, but normally what I do is bring a paper book. Um, and usually it's like a book in German or something that, so that I can, it's like a dual thing. Like it's interesting, but also I'm working on a skill. Um, you can look extra posh reading a book in German on the subway. <laughs> that too. People are like, what? Um, but, uh, so I usually do carry a paper book with me just for that very reason. Or sometimes like, you know, your headphones will die or like maybe your phone's getting low and, you know, it's a good excuse to do that. Um, but, um, the thing, uh, about this episode that I found really interesting is the whole, like advent and creation of email, which is kind of like screwed us all over in terms of like expectation of replies and stuff. (laughs) It's true. It's so true. And they said like the average user checks their email every six minutes, which is just disgusting. I I definitely do not check mine every six minutes, but I can't help but like. Every time I open it, though, I have like 62 new emails and I'm like, who is sending this many emails? Like, I'm never going to get to them. I don't care. And it's so frustrating just to like, you know, the constant influx. We're so opposite in that regard because I have I have zero emails in my inbox right now, and that is where I like it to be. At if there is an yeah. email in my inbox, it's because I have yet to address it or it's there to remind me about something. And as soon as it is dealt with, it is gone. <laughs> so that's how it starts with with me. Is like I'll be like, oh, I'm I'm going to leave that there because I need to like address that later. But then I never do. And so then sometimes I'll have like 200 emails, and it frustrates me to have that many emails. So I just the other day. Um, I went and called them down to just 10, uh, including some that I have to like take care of. So finally I'm I'm trying, and I do that after every semester because like during the semester things get busy and the last thing I want to do is read all these emails. But yeah, you get a lot more emails through your work than I do from mine. Like if I get an email from the way I work, like it's something that has to be addressed right right directly from a client. I don't get just like informational emails or at least not many of them from Upwork. It's just yeah. all client-based stuff. <laughs> and I mentioned you do do this as well, but um, are there specific hours after which like you just don't respond to emails? Yeah, after five and okay. I don't on weekends. Well, I usually don't on weekends. If I'm actively working like with something for a client and like I know they have a deadline with it and they're also very responsive on their end I will some you know I'll go after five or I'll go on the weekends but for the most part I don't do after five or on the weekends I used to like all the time but now I I don't make I don't let myself do it anymore yeah (laughs) be that available (laughs) yeah same for me I I used to like feel bad you know like if a student would send an email at like 10 panicked because I'm I'm usually awake until like 1 a.m because I don't I don't have a sleep schedule but like um I used to then sometimes respond to them because like you feel bad because they're like in a panic or whatever but at this point like in life I also just like tell myself um after like after five usually kind of the same i'm just like i'm not responding to emails anymore like if you had a concern you should reach out to me before it's you know 11 p.m because it's not a normal expectation for people to be responding to that late like we have lives normal people are asleep like yeah yeah and and like as being a freelancer like i feel like clients sometimes have that expectation of like oh well you're not like at an office, you know, you work from home, yeah. so you're always available. And I think that I let that get too out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> like it was a couple of years ago when I first started doing this and I was like just constantly working, constantly responding to things all the time on weekends, 10 o'clock at night, sending clients new things. And then I'm like working on their stuff for them too. Right. So I had to rein that in and make hours for myself. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. But uh, 
this episode where they showed the inbox that had 13,811 <laughs> unread emails. It just made me so anxious to see. That's my mother's email. Like she never, um, ever, ever checks it. It's like, oh, oh, he's the same. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I she doesn't ever can't. delete anything. <laughs> I just can't understand. Well, I mean, it's one thing not to delete something, but like to have that many unread messages. <laughs> yeah, well, he gets like just a lot of junk because yeah. he doesn't to like unsubscribe to anything so he'll know yeah. like oh this was the last email that was at the top the last time i checked <laughs> it so i only have to scroll you know down through to that one to see if there's anything new that right. i need to deal with but he doesn't delete any of the ones that he doesn't want there yeah. oh it's so stressful but he also just like saves everything to one folder on his computer it's just like this one massive folder of every single thing he's ever saved on his computer in his life oh my god and then he wants find something and they're all just named with like long streams of letters and numbers <laughs> how do you <laughs> be able to find it <laughs> that's impossible yeah oh it's a nightmare working with him yes <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i'm at least organized on that regard but yes yeah. not in that regard you're not as bad as an old man <laughs> yeah definitely not but um but yeah, yeah. any other aspects of this that you found particular this episode that you found particularly interesting um, I did like that they called out, you know, meditation yeah. and can help immensely with mental focus. And I will attest to that, that it's very true. I, if I like meditate, I can focus on stuff afterwards a lot better than yeah. if I meditated in a while. Um, and I just, you know, love yoga. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was really good too. And it's true. Yeah. It does bring attention. Just, f- yeah, that forced focus on something can help yeah. you. I also thought it was interesting that they said that skilled laborers, like people who are using their hands to do work um, versus doing it on a computer, like they tend to have the best focus on what they're doing if they're like using your hands to do it, which makes sense because like if I if I'm doing something like yard work outside, I can just kind of get into a zone of doing it for hours and notice the time passing. I don't have my phone outside with me when I'm doing something like that. So it's not an available distraction and I can just kind of get into like almost a meditative kind of place yeah doing work <clears throat> definitely yard work is not something i used to think that i would enjoy doing but <laughs> over the last few years i've been helping my parents with it more and more because i don't have a house yet of my own to do my own yard work i have to go someplace else and do other people <laughs> <laughs> like i can get really into it. i was helping my dad well, I wasn't even helping my dad. He wasn't even home. They were they were gone, and I was outside cleaning up all the sticks in my parents' yard over the weekend from the big storm. And it took like an hour and a half, and I thought I was outside for like twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you just but, think about life during that time, or? I don't even know. Like, <laughs> you're just thinking about like. Where's the next stick? You yeah. know, like, okay, I got to go over there and get that stick. And then Stuart, who's their dog, was outside and I was like throwing tires for him or like small tires, not like car tires. <laughs> dog chew toy sized tires for him. Yeah, to, I was going like, to say, this is, a, this is a very small dog. So I'm out there throwing tires at my parents' dog <laughs> while I'm doing yard work. <laughs> so, like, I'm like talking to him and, you know, interacting with him a lot because he's very animated. And yeah. Yeah, it was enjoyable. Nice. <laughs> I think um, uh, a quote that I'll read from this, just because it, it is another aspect that I found interesting, was about basically the idea of freedom um, and how people like to claim and believe that freedom is what they want. Um, and this person, who I wish I should start writing down these specialist names, but they said, uh, when we're free, it feels metaphorically like we don't have gravity. And as a result, a lot of people build walls and chains into their lives so that they don't feel this freedom. So it's like, we all want freedom, but like when you are absolutely free, there's nothing there's you lose the structure and you lose the things that sort of force you to focus on stuff. And, right. um, you know, it can be a bit difficult to do that. Um, so I thought that was a very interesting way to, to yeah. put that. Um, I, I didn't write down any other quotes, just the one there mm-hmm. about that, that writer had said, um, yeah, that's the only one down for this episode the last thing that i will say about this episode is that i found it interesting that they were talking about laws being passed in the eu and france about the right to disconnect so the right to be able to be like you know i'm it's i'm not going to respond to these emails like it's 5 p.m i'm done and like 
you know, all of those sort of interesting things, which is the the law like kind of made it so companies couldn't ex- like require their employees to respond to emails after a certain period of time. Like I suppose they still could if they wanted to, but the companies couldn't require it, kind of thing. Yeah, which is good. But yeah, the takeaway from that about emails and like all that stuff is that uh, you need to check your email only twice a day. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when you're working on things, take breaks to be con- to be uh, constructive. I feel like I don't need to check my email. Like my phone does that for me. Like it just tells me when I one. <laughs> it does. But email. I mean, some people I, I, I've seen this before, too, is that um, one thing one way to re- that people like reduce distractions from their phone is that they turn off notifications. So like the only time they ever know if they have a message or if they got an email is if you actually like open the app. And you, because you've turned off all those push things, you know, which makes sense. I mean, that's probably very freeing, honestly. It's what I did for my dad's phone because he asked me to. He didn't want to be receiving all of these notifications about it. He wouldn't want to have to go in and delete the emails when they came in. So he doesn't want to know (laughs) being there. (laughs) Right. All right. But that's that's pretty much. Yeah, that's how to focus. (laughs) Um, And let's move on to teen. The teenage brain. Mm-hmm. What what an interesting place to live. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, and this, yeah. like, I don't know that I was, like, too surprised by things that really came up in this episode. Um, yeah. We kind of learned that uh, in terms of brain development, like, the adult brain isn't really fully formed until 25 or so. Right, um, on yeah, which makes and the parts of the brains of the brains of the brain that are last to form are the ones that basically include um, judgment and things like that. So that's right. why, like, partly why kids tend to to take more risks and stuff, which is interesting. Yeah, and it, and it makes sense, and I feel like it's things that we've talked about before about teenagers, um, just like that. You know, they they are more likely to make really bad judgment calls in situations um and it's like they their brains are like telling them as they're going through adolescence and into puberty into into the teenage world like that the most important things are to like fit in with your peer group and to find a potential mate like from an evolutionary standpoint those are the two things that are most important for the for your individual and for the species survival is to fit in with the group of people you're living with and to find a mate within that group um so their brains are like almost overpowered by by these two drivers (laughs) and important things um don't really finish developing until around 25 years old is kind of what they average um but it also gives teenagers um, a greater sense of optimism than adults as well. Mm-hmm. Like they talk a lot about in this episode about how teenagers be- are much more likely to believe that they can change the world. And a lot of like what we're seeing today in the movements across the country, they're being led by teens and young adults. They're being led by people who do believe that they can you know, make a difference. And I think historically that has been the case. The people who are leading the protests and trying to make the change, it's the younger groups of people who are, are always pushing those movements forward. Right. Um, so we do need their young brains. <laughs> yes, we do indeed. And of course, they have um, Greta, our, our uh, climate activist, Greta Thunberg, yeah. who is the uh, kind of spokesperson for some of the youths, yes. um, which is good. I like, I like when they showed her, um, I don't know if this is actually what she was voted in high school or if they just included oh, that yeah. because it was funny it said most likely to piss off a world leader yeah i like yeah they kind of gave everyone a little superlative which was fun yeah like that was funny yeah i think um i liked it during this episode that they talked about the various stages of development and like how when you reach a certain point those driving forces that you were talking about they kind of equated them to like these overbearing monsters or like creatures in their yeah. lives and it just reminded me so much of big mouth that's the netflix oh. series which is basically the same thing like all of these yeah. different types of monsters for you know you have your hormone monster and you have like the depression cat and like all these different things yeah, it's the shame wizard <laughs> the shame wizard yeah yeah so i thought i was like oh that's cool well, and like Big Mouth was also created by Netflix, um, so probably like there are 
the what what they're doing oh my god wow i yeah. can't tell <laughs> it's probably about. somewhat intentional you mean to an extent yeah, yeah like because they were both created by netflix like probably the people working on them have overlapping ideas yeah. and probably i mean i guess i don't really remember what it was like i feel like once you're an adult you, you have a hard time remembering like what your brain felt like as a teenager yeah, definitely. Well, and I don't know. I feel like you and I were more like adult teens anyway. Like, I don't remember ever being like the sort of irresponsible, emotion-driven kid. Right. I mean, you know? probably more so than now, but not yeah. so. But I feel like we're also more mature adults. So maybe we were just born more mature. To I think with. so. Yeah. And also, like, they talk a lot about how a lot of the things you do are to appease your peer group as well. And so you'll right. do more crazy stuff just if your friends are, are watching or if you have this inkling that your friends will hear about it or something. Right. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, we kind of surrounded ourselves mostly with people who are like minded, who weren't impressed by like the stupid stuff. So right. Yeah. yeah, we looked at the stupid stuff as stupid stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, they also mentioned that like probably because of that we're we're starting to have this awareness like that the brain is not developed until you know around twenty five and that teenagers do tend to do more impulsive and stupid things and we're like teaching that to teens and making them like aware that their brains are not fully developed yet. They said that we're seeing like an, a steadily increasing um, average for the age of marriage. You know, yeah. people are, are realizing that maybe they're not mature enough at 18 to get married. Maybe yeah. you don't know what you want for, in life at that age. Um, and and uh, like, I, I like that. I think people should be older. I was 31. So my husband was 35 when yeah. we got married. And, you know, that's, that's like a good age to get yeah. married at. Yeah, that's a better age. I feel like you know, perfect age, get married whenever you want, but you know, don't do it when you're 18. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cause you don't really know, like, I don't know. I feel like there's a, especially if you plan to do things, I, I think that marriages, very young marriages can survive if the people in them remain stagnant, meaning like they don't go out and seek otherworldly experiences and things like this. Yeah. Um, whereas like, you know, even the, the simple thing of, going to college or going moving to a different state or any sort of like environmental changes can really have a drastic impact on like who you are uh, oh, which yeah. can fundamentally change yeah, then your relationship with whoever you've married when you were very young so exactly yeah i don't know i mean i feel like going to college and then moving to indiana and then moving to back to pennsylvania like those three things Mm -hmm. really like each one changed me you know it impacted my life Mo moving to where i am now in new york was less so because i was already you know, pretty like uh, i was already older at that point and, yeah. and the environment wasn't a big change from erie to here um but like those first three things like each time there was changes in who i was mm -hmm. interesting to like look back on and see because you don't notice the changes as they're happening you only right. notice the retrospect no it's true that is true. But yeah, I mean, um, that's pretty much all I have to say about teens. Um, I did I did write down the quote that the last thing that Greta said. Okay. Um, which was, um, I don't really have a dream or something that I want to accomplish in my life. I just want to be able to look back when I'm older and say that I did everything I could and that I'm satisfied with my life. Um, yeah. Which is a good little philosophy to live by. It is. The only quote I wrote down from this episode was by Socrates. Mm. And this is his reflection on teens. <laughs> they have bad manners, contempt for authority, they show disrespect for elders, and love chatter in place of exercise. <laughs> I love that. It's just so funny to think that, like, you know, that was, like, what, in the either hundreds or, like, double digits of AD, I imagine. Um <laughs> With so yeah, I can't remember yeah. when he was alive, but a long time ago, and still has like basically the same viewpoint that adults have towards teens now. Yeah, and like the same disconnect that yeah. you know he Socrates was a teenager, you know, at one point, so that he is having that same like inability to remember what it was like to be a teenager, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Google says he died in 399 BC, so okay. this was in the 300 BCs that he said that. Okay, even so, that's just hilarious to me. It is, yeah. 
It's a long time ago. Humans are the same 2,000 years later. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So the next one. The next one is on personality, Mm -hmm. which is probably my second favorite. Yeah. Of the episodes. The brainwashing one at the end was my favorite. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the personality one was interesting. And, like, the thing that was most interesting to me about this was that they talked about and... um, Madison and I took a test on it. But the big five, like ocean, the big five aspects of personality. And up until this episode, I'd never heard about ocean. Me neither. <laughs> I'd heard about I've heard about the ones like the I I can't remember the four letters that go into them, but like the yes. you know, those types of personality. I think I took one of those tests a long time ago and I can't remember what my response was, but or my score or whatever you combination of letters I was, but at least I'd heard about that. But this one I'd never heard about, but the big five being openness, conscientiousness, I guess, extroverted or not, uh, agreeableness and neuroticism. Yeah. I I like this test better. I've taken the other one too. I I also can't remember what it's called. Um, But that one just gives you like a specific, you know, you are these you know four letter yeah this one kind of scores you on a percentage and like and they talk about that as well like that you're not one or the other you're not like opened or not opened you know openness is just on a scale from zero to 100 and there's an infinite number of possibilities of what percentage of openness like where you fall in that yeah. And you know, same with the other big five um, kind of categories that they've chosen that they, they feel in, best encompass like all human personality. There's debate on whether or not there's like a sixth one that should be added. But um, I like that, like that it gives you a percentage instead of like, yes, you are open. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a little um, more. So we took this test then before we started recording. Do you want to go over our results? (laughs) Let's do it. So we'll go one by one. Uh, The first one is openness. And just to give their little website description, uh, we used the um, truity.com website uh, test. And they says, they says, well, they say openness describes a person's tendency to think in abstract, complex ways. So what is your score for openness? 92%. 92%. Mine's 90. <laughs> We're so close. We are yeah. going to be very close on all these, aren't we? <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I said earlier. Like, we're going to have basically the same personality. I have a feeling. <laughs> Yeah, so we're both high scores then. So high scores tend to be creative, adventurous, and intellectual. There we yes. go. <laughs> all right. Uh, next one is conscientiousness. Uh, Conscientious describes a person's ability to exercise self-discipline and control in order to pursue their goals. I <laughs> was a little higher than I thought that it would be. It was 62.5%. Wow. Yeah, mine's 40%, which is more okay. towards what I would expect. Yeah. I feel like that I have gotten better over the last couple of years yeah. at this and being able to like organize my life better and, and, and focus on doing things. I used to be a lot worse. But um, I'm getting better. <laughs> I would like to get better, but it's kind of like, I don't know, it's true. And they bring this up in the episode at one point, too. Like, you can, it, with consistency and um, ritual, you can change your personality and your behaviors and your habits. But then, like, you know, to some extent, they're kind of like, they seem to be fundamental aspects of who you are. And so then it's like, are these things ultimately that you want to change or that, like, would have much meaning or merit if you change them it's kind of interesting right. um that said if i could get myself conscientious enough to like get my shit done like ahead of schedule that would be great yeah um, I, I i like the way they described it because it was you know like they say that you you can change you know who you are as as you grow and mature but you can't like completely rewrite who you are and become a different person like the way they described it was, if say, for example, I am at 62.5% on the conscientiousness um, scale, and probably I could fall anywhere from like 50 to 70%. You know, I probably started out lower and I could get a little bit better. You know, the, the potential is there to continue getting a little bit better with it, but I'll never be able to be 100% right. on the one. It's just not in my personality to go beyond a certain point. 
Um, right. And I think that makes sense. Like you can improve yourself, but you can't completely change who you are. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Next one is extroversion. So extroversion describes a person's inclination to seek stimulation from the outside world, especially in the form of attention from people. I was surprised um, at this. What What is yours? Mine was 25%. <laughs> Mine's 58%. Wow. Although I feel like I feel like maybe you've become more introverted throughout yes. the years. Yes. Especially since the start of the pandemic. I've just well, like gone yeah. again, this is great. I never have talked to people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I went completely remote with my work, started freelancing, don't ever have to talk to anybody outside of email besides my husband. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I mean, there's something about like, you know, having a, a very close uh, circle, like those are important things as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was surprised to see mine at 58%. I guess I'm more yeah. extroverted than I thought. But I, it's... Expect, I expected you to be a little more extroverted than me, but 58%. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think some of that is probably boiled down to like, how comfortable because there are a lot of questions about like, comfort, how comfortable you feel around people? Like, are you right. talkative? Do you do, you know, um, are you the life of the party and all that kind of stuff? And I don't know. I feel like it's true that like, I'm, I feel very comfortable being by on my own. And so I have no problem, you know, doing that. And it, if I'm around big crowds for prolonged periods of time, I do find it draining, which is what's typically used to describe intro introverts or whatever. Right. But I do like, there's a certain aspect of me that like, likes being around people and i do find a certain energy from people but it's like it's like for me personally a delicate balance because like and it depends on the people like there's some people yeah. who, who don't sap your energy whereas like there are others where right. like you have to spend every moment kind of like feeding to them or feeding yeah. them with your energy and it's so exhausting um I, but... like, I do i do like being around people there's just only a small group of people that I like to be around. Right. But I like to be around those people as much as possible. Yeah. But yeah, like, and I do have people in my life who I love dearly, but who it is more of a struggle to be around them because they tend to be, like, like you said, they, they suck more of your energy or just yeah. require more energy to interact with them. Where it's, and not like, and I'm not saying it's uncomfortable to be around them. It's just more of a, high maintenance encounter <laughs> yeah definitely it's one you have to sort of prepare yourself for right exactly not something i'd want to do every weekend but right. like being you know around there's there's a handful of people who i could be around basically every day and i would be comfortable with that mm -hmm. <laughs> unfortunately the only one who lives within two hours of me is my husband <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> thus i don't go out and see anybody <laughs> <laughs> that is fair that is <laughs> Alrighty. Um, the fourth uh, one, A, is agreeableness. And this is uh, described the person's tendency to put others' needs ahead of their own and to cooperate rather than compete with others. I kind of expected my score to be higher. What did you get? I got 83%. Okay, I got 73. So we're both high scorers. Yes, I feel like that's high, high scoring. Yeah, I would say so. So we tend to be high scores are kind of empathetic and get pleasure out of serving and taking care of others, are trusting, yeah. forgiving. I think those things describe us to an extent. Um, yeah, I do too. I mean, I'm not like a nurse, but I have I have nurse like qualities. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the last one is neuroticism. Um, which uh, they said that, you know, we attach this negative sentiment to, to neuroticism. So they said that maybe a better word would be sensitivity. And this describes neuroticism as a tendency to experience negative emotions, including fear, sadness, anxiety, guilt, and shame. Um, what was yours? Mine was pretty low. It was only 25%. Okay, mine was 12.5%. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm not surprised that both of us are low there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So this knowing. is. Kind, yeah, knowing us. Yeah. This is kind of the idea then that, like, for us, um, we, yeah, low neuroticism scores are more likely to brush off their misfortune and move on. And I feel like for me, like, that's the sentiment that I always go in life with. Like, yeah. you know, there are, are worse things than whatever is going on. Like, 
find the silver lining and just and if even if you can't find the silver lining like there's no point in stirring up negative emotions and like holding on to those things so just let right. it go um because it's only like for you know to me anyway like all, holding all those negative emotions and stuff is really only hindering you it's not really doing anything to the person you're feeling them toward oh absolutely you yeah know? so it's like at some like, point you just got to drop and let it go Especially like if what you're holding on to is like hatred or anger towards somebody from your past yeah. who you don't have any kind of interaction with anymore. It's like you're not hurting them with the, these emotions. Like you're just hurting you and the people who are around you who love you kind of thing because it's making you, you know, a, a more depressed kind of irritable person or sad or whatever. Um, I feel like sometimes I can get hung up on thinking about like the future of the planet and yeah. society and, and things like like big like oh man we could really go down the tube fast kind of thoughts like <laughs> yeah. I, I can go down the rabbit hole a little bit with them sometimes especially like when i'm meditating and i have sure. to like stop and shake myself and be like no 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 <laughs> i can't imagine worst case scenarios right now because we've done that and it just it can get dark <laughs> yeah it, yeah, one hundred percent. I'm not saying it's easy all the time, but like, <laughs> I do find that like in experience and in life, I've noticed that for me, the process of letting those things go is has always been easy. Whereas I do notice that other yeah. people like tend. There are some people who struggle really a lot with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm getting a lot better at it. Yoga and meditation. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> But yeah, so those are our scores. Now everyone knows us a little better. Now you all know our deepest percentages of personality. <laughs> you can let us know if you're shocked by any of those scores. I'd be interested to see. Because you never know yeah. like what people think about you, but I, I don't know. That's true. Now you now you know us, you know, clinically. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, um. But yeah, so um, we talked earlier about in the last episode about how moving and having these different um, environments and experiences really have an effect on us. And that's brought out in the personality episode as well. Like the people are, you're around have a huge impact on you. Um, experiencing new things can fundamentally change who you are. Like right. it's, it's a really interesting thing. It is. Yeah, I feel like. I feel like the since the start of the pandemic, mm -hmm. and, it, and it's in my mind, like they overlap, I started doing yoga on January 1st of 2020, like before the pandemic started, like I had made the decision that I was going to start doing yoga that year. And then in early March is kind of like when COVID started becoming a really notable thing. Um, so like the start of the pandemic and the start of me doing yoga overlap because everything that has changed since then has been since both of those things started. Um, but I feel like I have noticed the biggest change in my personality in like my maturity in the way I, I think about things and, and it, my temperament, like even just like interacting with my husband and things that used to stress me out. Like I'm able to just let them go much more easily now. Like yeah. the other day I was making dinner and something didn't work out with it. And it was a situation where I know three years ago, I would have just been so upset. I would have been crying and just like, just so distraught that this didn't work out the way I wanted it to. But I was just like, oh, okay, well, we're going to go do something different tonight. <laughs> I was able just to let it go and move on yeah. and that like I I like that I can notice that about myself that like right. I am changing to be more the way I want to be. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I and they there was a quote about that where they say you can you can change just by acting more like the person you want to be. The important thing is to do it consistently, and that is very true. You can't just it's just like with yoga you can't only do it you know once or twice a month and expect to see big results you have to do it every day and it's the same thing with like trying to change your mindset you have to always be aware of it true which is hard to do <laughs> yeah definitely definitely yeah, yeah. i have a couple of quotes from this episode actually nice i didn't have any but if you want to read them you can feel sure free. um we can't completely relay the foundation of who we are hmm Every time you learn something new, you're actually changing the brain. I love <laughs> that. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I like that. Like the idea that it, within the white matter of our brains, there's all these new connections that can form. Um, and, and they talked about like how 
one psychedelic trip on like mushrooms or some other hallucinogenic like ayahuasca, they it can completely like it can make all kinds of new connections in the brain just like on one trip, which and it can change the brain more than like years of somebody trying to consciously do it, like taking one. I've never done a hallucinogenic, but like I've all I am interested in like the idea of it because I yeah. think that it could be really interesting because your brain makes all kinds of new connections while you're tripping around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it could be an interesting thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's personality. There we go. <laughs> then we go to creativity. Creativity this is the one I actually wrote the least amount down about. <laughs> yeah. I didn't write too much about that either. Um, I was, Super offended and upset to hear that doctors literally stole Einstein's brain when he died and then put it on display, which was the exact opposite of what he had asked for. He wanted to be cremated that so that people yeah. would not examine his body in that way. Um, so, so finding out that they did do that is disturbing. Yeah, I feel like that's something that wouldn't fly in today's society, I would hope. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's giving Probably. too much credit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that that was one point that I wrote down from the episode. Yeah, um, I did but. like that. Like one of the things, and I'm not—I must have written a partial quote or something. But at some point, someone says something akin to the idea that creativity isn't mystical; it's just a muscle that needs to be flexed. And yeah. I think that's so important because I, I do think, and they talk too that there's like some people have an innate sort of creativity and stuff like that. But I feel like there's a lot of people who feel like, you know, they don't know how to be creative or like you can't, like you're either creative or you're not. Right. But the truth is, is like the more you practice and the more you do things that have a sort of creative nature, the more creative yeah. you can become. And they talk about like improv and doing stuff like yeah. that, which forces you to like put yourself in these situations and stuff and imagine ways out of them. Right. Well, and I think that probably just like all the other aspects of personality, creativity probably also exists on a spectrum and you're yeah. probably born, you know, where you can be within a certain range, you know, of you know, 50 to 70%, depending on how much you flex that muscle or whatever, your creativity muscle. And they also talked about like how the more experiences you have in life the more material your brain has to be creative with yeah so like somebody who just sits at home and doesn't do anything versus somebody who goes out and travels to other countries and interacts with other cultures and experiences different new things they're going to be more creative because they're creating all this new material for their brain to draw on mm -hmm. um which makes sense it does it makes a lot of sense yeah and yeah. as people who have experienced foreign culture, you know, we must yeah. be very open to everything. Yeah, so we're very creative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did like that they kind of gave a little bit of like the evolution of why creativity or how creativity kind of came into being, you mm -hmm. know, as we evolved as humans, you know, there was always this like as humans evolve, we are always constantly trying to take what we have and make it better somehow, you know, like back from the people who were learning how to cook over an open flame, you know, figuring out the best type of rock to try and cook your meat on, you know, like there was always yeah. this drive to make, how can we make this thing that's working work a little bit better? Um, and, and it's, just, it's just always been something that our brains are trying to do, which yeah. is very interesting. It is. And I, I like that, too, that they 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 kind of draw drew attention to inventors and things like that, too, because I feel like creativity often is kind of associated with artists. Right. Um, and it's, you know, creativity has many different forms. And they say at one point that, like, creativity is basically just combining things in new ways. And so, right. you know, it could, you could be creative in any domain that you're in. Um, right. I mean, there's so much like room to be creative with computers these days and like mm -hmm. the ways and hows of writing computer coding and things like that. Like I have no knowledge of that at all, but there it's a whole new frontier that people have only been working on for the past 30 or 40 years, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's all sorts of room for, for advancements with technology. And I think that's where we see a lot of people with the, who are more prone to be like creative in, in creating things who would have been maybe inventors back in the 1900s, you know, they're going into computer science and things like that today is because that's the new creative frontier that we have. Right. Is in technology. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Interesting. 
feel like I'm a semi-creative person. Yeah, I would like to it's, believe myself to be creative. <laughs> I did write a book. You have to be a little bit yeah, creative. Yeah, you're definitely creative. That's true. But, I, haven't, I haven't written a book yet, but... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you wrote a dissertation that was basically a book. That's <laughs> lots of creative, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that's fair. I mean, it was creative. You you wrote a, on a topic that nobody else had wrote on before. There that's- you go. That's the creativity. <laughs> um, I did like that they mentioned this um, exquisite corpse, or in, in French, the cadavre exquis. I've heard about this game where, like, you kind of, it's a compilation thing. They did it with a picture where, like, you fold it so that you can only see part of the picture. And then, like, ultimately you have this hybrid nonsense. Um, I've also seen the cadavre exquis thing done with um, words. Um, okay. So, like, little to, little by little you cobble together sentences. Um, yeah. And uh, it turns into madness, which is kind of fun. But it kind of made me like miss the old days of like, because that was such like a parlor game, right? Like that's what you did in like 1896 when people would come over for dinner and you're like, oh, we're going to do Canadian ski or whatever. Um, Like how fun to, I don't know, it'd be fun to to have like, to do that. that. Yeah. I guess you can do that now, but well, pandemic, no, but like the drawing that you know where each person was drawing the picture i cannot for the life of me figure out how on earth they would have folded that so that you could only persons before you and have room to draw your own and like i don't understand how that and you would have had to add a piece of paper that was like longer than even legal paper right yeah a whole parchment (laughs) Just like staple three sheets of legal paper together or something to get it to be long enough. I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, but yeah, but yeah. That's pretty much all I had about creativity. I didn't even have any quotes from that episode. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. That's pretty much it. Yeah. All right. That's okay. Now the on to your one. favorite episode. <laughs> yeah, it's all about brainwashing. Oh, it was just so interesting yeah. to to watch episode i found it to be the most interesting out of all of them yeah brainwashing very interesting i like that right away they kind of say that we should rethink the term brainwashing to like thought reform brain hacking right Um, well and they kind of like talk about how it was i think during world war one or world war two i don't remember which world war but like the united states army and some of the other militaries in other countries made the decision that they were going to experiment on prisoners of war and also some volunteers from the public to see whether or not they could forcibly brainwash someone. Because like, we kind of have this idea that brainwashing quote unquote is like this complex process that involves torture and, you know, kidnapping and, and forcing propaganda down somebody's throat and like essentially trying to force their brain to believe something that they don't already believe and largely what they found out was that they could drive people crazy doing that but they (laughs) could not actually brainwash them like their goal was not successful they couldn't actually change their core beliefs but then at the same time social media is able to do it in less than five months to some people as we also see in this episode yeah so that's horrifying <laughs> oh it's absolutely horrifying and yeah we can't do it but social media can <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy and yeah it's this idea of like sacred values and somehow like exposure to like through social media and i, I guess it's just the consistency of the exposure probably Um, can help shape these sacred values and they say at one point that like once a value becomes sacred to you um we we treat it like it's not no longer up for debate right Um, and you can't be kind of swayed by just words alone and we see that like all the time and that's how i would categorize the majority of like the generations now or just people in general not even just specific generations but people in general are so like unwilling to hear other sides because their ideas to them have become so sacred yeah and it's so crazy to me and i i I mean i don't know that i have an idea that's so sacred to me that i would not at least hear someone out no i I love like having philosophical discussions with somebody who is also open to the other like other ideas you know it's not any fun to have a philosophical discussion with somebody who's who is so closed off that they don't want to hear what you have to say. 
but like my mom and I, we can, yeah. we can get pretty, we, and we don't agree on the same things. We don't have the same beliefs, but we can talk about them and express what we do believe to each other very openly and like in a non-judgment kind of way. And I love having that kind of conversation. Yeah. No, that's great. But, yeah, most people are, are not like that. <laughs> no, definitely not. And it's but, kind of crazy because I feel like, I don't know, people used to be more open to things like that in the past, but. Maybe have they though? I don't know. I feel like I, know. I feel like we're we we're, you've never been good at that as like humans. We want to find a belief or a belief structure, whether it's political or religious or philosophical, and we just want to accept that as fact so that yeah. we don't have to like think hate <laughs> anything else. Like we just we just know quote unquote we know what is the truth then at that point once you've accepted it as a fact. And you don't have to, like, think about it anymore. And I feel like that's kind of the category that a lot of people, they want that comfort of just like, okay, this is what I believe. This is what is true. And nobody is going to change my mind on that kind of thing. True. And I think, like, yeah, I think, yeah, people take comfort in that sort of mindlessness of ideas. But it's so, I don't know, it's just, like, not, for me, not an interesting way to live. No, I mean, not <laughs> me either but it's the way a lot of people do yeah. live <laughs> well and i think it's even exacerbated for us because we both come from small towns so like that really yeah. is like the defining characteristic of small town mentality because one of the things they say is that like your surroundings and you know exclusion specifically but you know if you're in a small enough environment it's very easy to get caught up in, a, in an echo chamber and yeah. the only way to break out of that is to change your surroundings and change the people you're hanging out with. And that's, you know, not exactly what's done in small town America. Not usually. No, at least not small town, New York. (laughs) Can't I guess I can't talk for the rest of the state, but, but, um, yeah, I do. I, I think that, um, like we talk about political extremism a lot. We've talked about that before on this podcast. And I feel like that's kind of the new quote unquote brainwashing that we're seeing in our society. And a lot of it is just perpetuated by social media. And they didn't talk about this. They didn't mention this fact on this um, documentary, but Netflix on one of their other documentaries that talked about social media more specifically, <laughs> they said that lies on the internet, lies on social media, um, spread six times faster than like proven facts yeah. can spread. And they also generate six times the ad revenue for social media companies. So just through the way their algorithms work, social media companies are promoting the lies over the truth because they can make more money by doing that. And that's something that they're trying to call that out now more, but I don't know that anything's going to really be done with it because it's not really illegal what they're doing. It's just a business structure of how to make the most money, but it's resulting in so much wrong, completely untrue information reaching so many more people than the truth ever could. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy too. And they talked about like with social media and just the way that we are nowadays, like the truth is like, we put more faith in the people that we know than the truths out there. And so like, if your friend um, posts on your social media about like, you know, the vaccine turning you into a robot or whatever the hell people think these days, um, you know, you're just going to believe them more than like actual fact. And it's always funny when people use the term like research nowadays, like everyone does their research. And I'm like, you looking on Facebook is not research. (laughs) Like that was research. God, it's so frustrating. Cite cite the facts for me, please. Tell me which sources you used, what scientific study has helped to prove this yeah and i love that it always falls apart at that point too they're like yeah because you right. can't well, no they can they don't have that information it doesn't exist <laughs> very true but yeah did you have any quotes oh oh we should say probably also that um the two main people on this episode were were shannon um who had been converted basically to white nationalism it seemed yeah. um and melissa who was a QAnon supporter yeah, yeah. And they were both people who went very deep down the rabbit holes, but were able to come back out. Yeah. And that is 
such a hard thing, I think, for to, to get people to do, you know, to go down these conspiracy theories and to truly, truly believe them, to have them become one of the you know core structures of their belief system and to be able to come back from that is not something most people are able to do. So I am glad to see two people on here who were able to do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and they talk about the biggest problem with like why why people who go down, you know, believing these conspiracy theories, why it's so hard, one of the reasons why it's so hard to come back is because there's no reward for doing so. Right. You know, the one who, the woman, who, I don't remember which what her name was, the one who was part of QAnon. Melissa, um, yeah. Yeah, she says, like, she's constantly, like, people are constantly criticizing her because of things she said before. And we see that all the time, people oh, yeah. digging, you know, you said this 25 years ago or, you know, three years ago even, and holding it against them. And it's like, but if a person has truly changed, we should be commemorating, you know, or, or applauding them for yeah. actually changing and not saying well you used to think this other way because if we want to see change we have to accept people who have changed and people you know people don't want to do that either (laughs) yeah no that's a really frustrating thing too and i can understand like you know especially if someone had extreme had done extreme things whether that be like verbally or physically violent or like a lot of different there could be a whole gamut of things that the person could have done but i feel like if we're unwilling to accept that people can better themselves then we're kind of failing as a as a society and then it's like what are we fighting for them right we are to for to change things and in order for that to happen people have to change and you have to accept that they're no longer you know this racist misogynist person that they were before that they have actually changed and people you know, they don't want to do that either. <laughs> right. And I feel like, honestly, that's one of the biggest issues with, like, the prison system in the U.S. as we have it is that, like, you know, we expect uh, people to, like, start changing who they are and to realize the error of their ways. But there's nothing set up in these systems that, like, promote that actual right. change. Like, we don't – we consider them, like, we label them places of, like, reform – but, but there's no active, you know, desire yeah. to reform. We just expect that by putting this person in a cell for five years, they're going to, you know, change, just sit there the whole time thinking critically about what they did and change. But like, that's not the way people work. <laughs> no. And I feel like a lot of times they just sit there stewing about like the, you know, <laughs> being right. stuck in the situation, whether it was them who put themselves there or not. Right. Exactly. But anyway. But yeah, brainwashing. Yeah, brainwashing. <laughs> don't let it happen to you. <laughs> yeah, don't let it happen to you. Did you have any quotes from this episode? Um, I had a couple, yeah. The first one was, beliefs are completely linked to belonging. You mm. believe in something because you want to belong to that group. Nice. I thought that was very true, probably. That is true. And that's putting on the side of kind of idea of like feeling excluded um, often leads to radicalization because you you're it's that desperate desire to belong to something um, that you're more open and willing to just fall fall for anything really yeah did you have any quotes from this episode um so i wrote down part of what the la- the the one um psychologist maybe he was i can't remember said at the very end of the episode okay. um but i have to actually watch the video to say it so i'm gonna play it silently and read the subtitles as we go so he okay. said <laughs> Uh, the need for absolute for the perfect and single truth that's where we get into trouble period (laughs) so like people really want that absolutism and they want that you know one-sided viewpoint and that's just trouble yeah i mean that that is a big thing like like we were talking about earlier people don't want to have open conversations about different possibilities like philosophical religious political they just want to believe their truth and to kind of close out the door to everything else um and that's how we are that's that's why we're so polarized and divided as as a country and as a world yeah is you know, people on both sides don't want to try to see it from the other point of view at all. Yeah. Which is a challenge. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, indeed. My, my last quote, which kind of ties into that is embrace complexity. Simplicity is the enemy, which 
I love that. <laughs> yeah, that is good. And that was uh, um, that was Shannon who said that her son tells her that. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's a yeah. good mantra. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I mean, and it's true. I feel like we we there's so many different factors that play into to everything in everyone's lives. You know, everything is complex. You can't just break it down into simple yes or no, good or bad kind of things, because it's it's all just 50 shades of gray out here. <laughs> Indeed, minus, well, maybe with some of the sexual overtones, but anyway. Okay, depends on the person's life, I suppose. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> but yeah, so that is um, pretty much brainwashing. And also The Mind Explained, season two. We have completely explained the mind to you now. Yes, we are masters of the mind. Um, if you happen to watch, um, let us know what you thought. Reach out to us on Twitter at NNO Podcast. Or you can send us an email at navigatingnetflixoriginals at gmail.com. And you're also welcome to send us any suggestions you have for future movies or shows you'd like us to talk about. Um, we will try to get to them. Maybe we'll be more motivated to get to them if somebody is recommending them to you. It's very true. There won't be another three-week gap in between episodes or something. It's true. And next week already is uh, basically Christmas. So we um, maybe we'll do a little cheesy Christmas movie. Ooh, I like the sounds of that. <laughs> On that and note. There, oh, go ahead. There, there's a chance in the future coming month as well that we'll have another podcast recording with Jamie and myself <sighs> in the same room. That is true. These are rare, but nevertheless yes. delicious. Yes. <laughs> so them up when they're available. Exactly. <laughs> On that note, thanks everyone for listening and uh, until next time. Bye. Bye.